Good afternoon. Welcome to Business Buzz. This is Harold Littlejohn, CPA, enjoying a fine afternoon in Chico. We are back to our good weather, I believe, and it sure is nice. I did finally get a weekend away after tax season ended a couple weeks ago, and it was nice to be out of town a little bit, but the weather was cold, and now I'm back in Chico with probably something in the 70s. It sure feels nice, and I think we're in for a, a pretty nice summer. Not sure how the drought situation's going. I haven't had time to look into all the rainfall figures and whether we're going to be in trouble again. I'm guessing we are just based on the fairly low level of snow that I saw in the mountains, but hopefully it'll be a great year. So far, everything's going well for, uh, you know, like I say, the, I've been talking about the whole new tax law, being a CPA, but that's just part of it. No matter whether there's a new tax law or not, the, the basics are still always there. One of the things that I wanted to talk about today was to just give you a little information. Uh, sometimes I get surprised by how little people seem to know when I talk some tax topics with them. And of course, I don't expect them to know a lot because it's not their profession and it is mine. So I'm, I'm used to having done it every day for the last 37 years. But it just seems that there's a level of, there's really a level of non, really lack of knowledge in the public domain just in general, even with people who have professional tax help. Now, I know some people just don't care and they'll just drop their papers off and they'll sign whatever gets done by the professional and they'll assume that it's correct, which is pretty much the main thing. But it's still a little strange that some people are very unaware of some of just the basic rules and the basic uh, things that go on with the whole tax system. I like to keep people informed as much as possible. Of course, that's really the purpose of this show is to be as informative as I can. One topic that I wanted to talk about because it always comes up during April, and that is the topic of the, it's called the extension. It's the extension of tax when you can't get it done exactly right by the due date, which this year was April 17th. You have the option of sending or e-filing these days what's called an extension of time to file. It's a one-page form. It doesn't even require a signature. If you did it by the mail, all you would have to do would be to fill out a one-page form, put your name, your social, and your address on it, and mail it by the due date's postmark to the correct IRS address, which I believe is probably it's either Fresno or Ogden. I can never get it straight. Uh, we do a lot less by mail than we used to. Of course, 37 years ago, it was always a late-night trip to the post office on the 15th at about 11.30 p.m. to get everything in, and it was just a way of life in the old days with all the mailing that had to be done. Now there's so much e-filing of things, like I say, including extensions that get e-filed. So it's just so much more convenient without the physical mail. But what I'm trying to get across is that the extension of time to file is a one-page form that doesn't even require a signature. It just requires that you mail it on time. What does the extension do? 
It extends the time allowed for you to be legally filing your return timely. The normal due date for your individual tax return is April 15th, which is the 15th day of the fourth month following your tax year. And I've explained to you before, we are all calendar year taxpayers. We don't get to choose to end our year anywhere other than the December 31. The extension makes it legal for you to file your tax return all the way up to October 15th of 2018 for the 2017 year. So it's giving you six months of time to file the actual correct tax return. The problem is it's not an extension to pay, it's an extension to file. So in other words, if you owe, and I'm just going to use a round number of $10,000 just because the math is a lot easier that way. Let's say you figure you're probably going to owe around $10,000, but you really don't feel like you've gotten all of your paperwork together. Uh, You're still waiting for something maybe from a friend who you did a joint venture with and you don't have the numbers from his accountant. There's various reasons why you don't really have everything ready by April 15th. You wouldn't want to file a tax return knowing that it's wrong. In other words, if you know for a fact that you have an, a deduction amount for your business, but for some reason you can't locate the receipt and you need more time, it's the IRS would prefer that you do an extension and that you file a correct return than to throw one in the mail on April 15th that's technically not correct. It's just a smart thing to do. I've educated a lot of people. When you're tax man and any good any good tax man's going to be real busy March and April some of them are better at I would just call it I'll call it disciplining the clients I know of some tax preparers especially some of the ones from Southern California that I that are the speakers at the education seminars that I attend they have very strict rules and all their clients are made aware uh, things like this If you bring your information in after March 15th, it's a $200 premium for the fee. If you bring your work in after April 1st, it's like a $500 premium. And if you bring it after April 5th, you're definitely on extension and it's a $1,000 premium or something to that effect. And those numbers that I remember that guy talking about were probably from 10 years ago. Those are probably twice as much now. So I will say that some offices are probably better at, quote, disciplining their clients, unquote, than I am, because I'm still of the old school. If somebody comes in with a, if someone comes in with a fairly not too complicated tax return, even if it's after April 1st, I'll do my best to get it done and I'll do my best to get it done on time. But there's always a few that brought things in after the 1st and they're just too big for me to do correctly in the push of those last two weeks of trying to get everybody done, that especially the ones that brought their things in more timely. So I end up needing to educate clients as to what an extension means and why it can sometimes be a very good idea. So I would say the number one reason that the extension can be a very good idea is it gives you, number one is it gives you time to get everything together. You may have had some family event come up in early April and the night you planned on getting your tax things put together, you had to be out of town. Well, this gives you six months to get the information together and to put it together properly 
to do a correct tax return. One of the other, I'll say number two, or I'll say number one B, would be that it gives your tax professional the time to settle down after tax season and do everything perfectly right. Every occupation is going to have time pressures where if someone's in a hurry, it might not get done as well. I do know that the errors that I have made in the past, oh, yes, I'll admit I've made a few. I would say I can point back to almost every error that that I can remember, and it was almost always due to the fact that I was pushed up against the April 15, and you know I had to get it done, and somebody wouldn't let me do an extension or whatever. It's just the way it goes. But your tax return will be done in a better fashion if your preparer is not in a big hurry. I would say if your preparer is sitting around on April 12th just waiting for new clients to come through the door because they've caught up all their work, you may be thinking about looking for a different preparer because they should be very extremely busy anytime in uh, the first two weeks of April. So uh, reason number one to get an extension is so you have time to get all of your information together to file a correct return. Number two, you're giving time to the professional to assist you to actually get it right without having to be rushed. Now, there's two other major good things about extensions. The first of which is this. If you are self-employed and if you're trying to save for your own retirement, there's a lot of common retirement plans for small self-employed businesses. And one of them that I see most frequently is called a self-employed IRA or that's shortened to be a SEP IRA, S-E-P-I-R-A. Here's the nice thing about an extension. If you're self-employed and you made $50,000 last year, the law will allow you to put in up to $10,000 to reduce your taxes with a contribution to your own SEP IRA. Well, here's here's the thing. If you file by April 15th, That means your due date to put the money in the SEP IRA is April 15. The due date for the SEP IRA money to be actually deposited in your SEP IRA retirement account is the due date of the return, including extensions. That's the catch. It's not a catch. It's actually a plus. Now, your deadline to get your SEP IRA $10,000 in to save all that tax with is now October 15. That's the other real common, real good reason for an extension. Now, remember, I explained before, the extension is an extension of time to file, not to pay. In other words, if you owe money as of April 15, that tax is due by April 15th, or it will get interest and penalties. Now, here's the fourth really good thing about an extension. Let's say you really don't know how much you owe, but you're going to guess. So let's say you guess that you owe 10000 when you actually ended up owing 20000 Here's how it works. You would send in a $10,000 check with your extension. But then when you get done with your taxes, since you should have sent twenty, you're now owing ten. It's late. It's paid late. Here's the beauty of the extension. Since you did an extension and since you gave a reasonable estimate of what you thought you would owe, you only get a penalty on the $10,000 balance that you didn't pay by April 15. 
the penalty is only one half of 1% per month on that balance due. Now, let me give you some numbers on that. If you had skipped doing the extension at all and you ended up owing $10,000, the penalty for being one day late with that payment is 5% of the amount you owe. $10,000, 5% of that is $500 of penalty. But if you filed an extension timely and you end up owing $10,000, the penalty is only 0.5%, one half of 1%. It's only $50. So it's a huge difference that you filed an extension because you're timely filing until October 15, and the penalties are so much lower if you do end up owing tax. One of the old arguments for an extension against an extension for people who were getting refunds was, and people used to say this all the time, well, I don't want the government to have the use of my money. Well, I kind of laugh at that these days because I look at the interest my client made on his $100,000 bank account, and it's something like $100 for the whole year. It's like 0.1%, and that's probably on the high end. So where is the point of worrying about whether you've got an extra money back in the bank to earn 0.1%? So the argument that if you have a refund coming and you do an extension and it takes you a month longer to get the money, unless you have some pressing need for that actual money, that's not a real good reason to not do an extension because you want your refund sooner so you can put it in the bank and earn virtually zero in interest. Now, one negative I will go along with, there's a negative to doing an extension, and that's this. If you, do it in, if you did an extension in April of 2018, which is a couple weeks ago, and you end up filing, let's say, in uh, October of 2018 when you get your tax done, the negative is that the IRS has three years from the date of filing when you've done an extension. So now they have three years from October of 2018 to go back and audit your return. If you had it done it by April, they would only have until three years after April 15. So that would be the one negative about doing an extension. But either way, they've got three years to look at your numbers. So it's really not a negative, but it's just sort of a minor negative. And I want it to be fair and balanced, like as they say on the fake news. I'm going to be coming up on that first break. I'm going to talk a little bit about some local business news that's pretty interesting. I haven't been able to keep up due to tax season, but... Now the tax season's over, I'm really enjoying getting back into the swing of some normal reading and some normal uh, type of stories that I miss when I get too busy. And all the people who came to me and got an extension, I appreciate you letting me help you with that. I did have a few new clients that came in the last few days of tax season, and I'm always happy to help somebody with a, especially with an extension, because as long as we figure out what tax you might owe, There's absolutely no harm, and there's a lot of good benefits. That's the whole point, like I was just talking about. And as far as that, like I say, the statute of limitations, they always have three years to look at your return, so that's just a fact of life. This is Harold Littlejohn, CPA. Stay tuned to Business Buzz. I'll be right back after these messages. Astronaut Bob the Drop here. There's been a lot of talk about water found on Mars. 
Why would you go all the way to Mars for water when we have the best tasting water at Mount Shasta? It comes from our protected springs and is delivered right to your door. Great landing, Bob. Hey, where are you going with that? Those Martians are stealing my water. Guess we have some new customers. And anyone can get Mount Shasta spring water if they call us at 1-800-922-6227. Your hand simple. Naturally, the best Mount Shasta spring water. Hi, this is Rob Walter, host of Red Sky Radio with Rob Walter. This is a program that proclaims liberty to the captives of our beloved nation, where truth trumps political correctness and where the uncompromised word of God exposes the works of darkness and sets free those held hostage behind the iron curtain of a shamelessly biased media. America, we have a trail to blaze. It's time to saddle up. It's time to ride. Join me at 7 a.m. on KKXX. Saturday mornings at 7 a.m. here on KKXX. Welcome back to Business Buzz. This is Harold Littlejohn, your CPA, getting you out the best information I can in the most entertaining fashion, I hope. I do have to admit, I re-listened to one of my broadcasts from early April this year, and I didn't sound that enthused. I was kind of tired and in the middle of tax season. So I'm really glad that we're now back in a normal part of the year for me, and it's very nice, especially with the nice weather and the lovely Chico Day. So I promised you some local news, and the business, uh, I get most of mine from the Chico ER. I know the News and Review has some good stories now and then, but I, I don't always have time to look them all up. Uh, this one isn't, these aren't always, they aren't like today, but this one was very really interesting. It was from the ER, and it was about another new hotel announced in Chico. And I was looking into this article, and it turns out it's called Hampton Inn & Suites. And I have seen that chain. They're sort of all along like I-5 and Highway 99. I've seen a lot of them. Don't think I've ever stayed at one, but I would say anything that involves a hotel coming to Chico has got to be good news for the economy. It's got to mean that there's some demand. I mean, the demand for hotel, excuse me, the demand for hotels is tourism, of which there's some in Chico, but I think uh, business would probably be the main driver of hotel demand. This article mentions the graduation weekend, but I don't think someone's going to build a hotel just to cash in on one big weekend of tripled rates. I don't think that would justify that, but it's part of it. You know, that weekend probably makes up for a couple of slow months for a lot of the smaller hotels in town. So uh, I thought that was pretty interesting. It's going to be off Springfield Drive between Coles and the Chico Mall. And I know there's some undeveloped land in those areas that could definitely use a shot in the arm and get something going. So that's that was a really interesting uh, idea, the fact that there's another new hotel coming in addition to a expansion by the Oxford Suites. So that, that's that's good news. Now, the other interesting local article I just read, and I didn't even know about this until I saw the article, is the article about the handmade Chico, handmade in Chico wiffle ball bats. So I guess wiffle ball, it sounds like based on this article, 
Wiffle ball is popular back east, probably because you can play in a smaller area maybe if you have a smaller field. Kids can play baseball without worrying about the ball going out in the onto, you know, the busy street in New York City or wherever. So it turns out that uh, a man named Kevin, and I'm guessing at the pronunciation Babler, B-A-B-L-E-R, is making handmade wiffle ball bats, sounds like in paradise, and he's had it as a hobby since 04, and he turned it into a business in 2013, and his business is called Big Flies, F-L-Y-Z, and... He's got finished bats in his Chico workshop with custom touch, marbled paints, a flag design. So I guess he's got a lot of cool different designs on these wiffle ball bats. It sounds like he's using uh, cedar or pine wood like a regular wooden baseball bat, but then he's hollowing them out to make them appropriate for kids and for wiffle ball. And if anybody doesn't know what wiffle ball is, it's a baseball made of plastic that has like some holes in it so that it spins and curves and it's really a fun way to play if you ever get a chance to play wiffle ball. I used to play quite a bit when I was a kid. Haven't seen anybody playing it lately. So some of these bats go up to $125 for tournament level players. So there must be some wiffle ball tournaments back east. I didn't really know that, but uh, I don't think there's any locally. Of course, we have a, quite a bit of land around here. You could probably always find a park where you could play regular baseball in Chico. But So that's an interesting new business, and I'm glad that uh, sounds like it's taking off and doing well. I'm always happy to hear about local businesses getting started and doing well. My next article that I wanted to talk about is near and dear to me because I am... I'm sort of like the resident accountant slash tax advisor slash guy somebody can call at a place downtown called Chico Start. And the article is about Chico Tech Incubator, which is what they call these kinds of places, offering resources. So what it is is that Chico Start is an office down in the city hall building. It's on the first floor there, right? It's sort of like right behind the old police station building. And it takes up about a fourth of the whole first floor, probably, if you looked at the square footage of it. And what it is, it's called an incubator. They have these all over the place. Bay Area's got a lot of them. And what it is, is it allows new businesses to start by having an inexpensive desk and place of business that they can get started in when they might not be able to afford something like a regular whole office to rent or a regular whole uh, station for their computers at some other business, this place is designed so that an inexpensive monthly amount gets a young, usually young, it doesn't have to be young, it gets an entrepreneur a place to start their business. So that's why it's called an incubator. And this article talks about um, chief visionary is Wendy Porter, who is always on the lookout and reaching out. Um, among her successes in bringing idea meisters together are these two, Tech Talk and One Million Cups. Tech Talk is a monthly meeting open to anyone. The next one is noon to one Thursday at the Chico Start office. Uh, anyway, so this article is called Chico Tech Incubators Offering Resources. You should look at that because 
It's a really great way for young, small startup businesses to have a chance at getting something going without having to save up thousands of dollars to like get their own office. And it just, it's a real money saver for young businesses. And that's, like I say, that's why it's called an incubator because it's incubating these new businesses. Another part of the economy that I wanted to bring up today is the entire real estate housing market. I noticed that there have been four, they, there's one of the stats that they bring out once a month is called existing home sales. And existing home sales are down versus the year before for the last four months straight. And if you look at a chart of this, and I saw this chart somewhere today, I, I don't have it right in front of me. The red lines of months where the existing home sales are down from the previous year, when you look at this chart that goes back to like the year 2000, the last time there were a whole big bunch of these red negative months like there is this year developing was like in 07, which is sort of self-explanatory. Prior to a crash in the real estate prices, you have these home sales declining. And hopefully this, maybe this meter, maybe this indicator will turn up in the next month or two. But as of right now, it's not looking good. And it looks like the start of one of the things that happened in six and seven, when home prices started declining and that foretold the housing crisis. And a related story that has to do with why I'm bringing this up is Freddie Mac, which is one of the big giant mortgage companies that it's, it's sort of, I won't quote this because I'm really not an expert, but I believe it's like a government subsidized mortgage place. In other words, it's sort of like how General Motors got taken over by the federal government because it was too big to fail. This Freddie Mac is, uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are one of, are these two giant mortgage places that do a lot of home loans. The reason I'm bringing this up is a scary thing that I heard today. I haven't been able to double verify this like a good journalist should, except I'm not a journalist and I don't claim to be one. I'm just telling you some of the things I've heard. Here's the deal. Not only has Freddie Mac been doing some 3% down loans for a while, they now have a loan program that is 3% down and get ready for the drum roll, please. No income verification. I recall some clients back in 05 and 06 who bought homes under that same pretense and lost them soon after that. And they should have been like what I would call poster children for foreclosures. They did not have the income to sustain that kind of loan, that kind of mortgage payment, but they got the house anyway. So it sounds like this whole housing market could be setting up for another giant decline based on the fact that every last guy who wants to buy a house is getting enticed to buy one. I'm Harold Littlejohn, CPA. Stay tuned for more Business Buzz. I'll be right back after this short break. Praise the Lord. I'm Sharon Knotts inviting you to join me and my dad, R.G. Hardy, on The Sound of Faith, mornings at 10, here on KKXX. 
If you are drawn to inspirational preaching, informative in-depth teaching, and biblical perspectives to current issues under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, then Sound of Faith is perfect for you, because we know faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. 10 o'clock weekday mornings here on KKXX, Chico's Christian Radio. Hello, I'm Gary Crossland. Everything in the Old Testament points forward to Jesus. Everything in the epistles points backward to Jesus. That's why I encourage people to read the words of Jesus every day. This is where emotional and spiritual health come from. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Well, where do you read his commandments? But in the Gospels. Now, I know that it's easy to get a little confused when jumping between one Gospel and the next, which is why I wrote the Merged Gospels. It's where all four Gospels are literally translated from the Greek, broken down word by word, and merged back together into one beautiful chronological story with not one word of scripture removed. You can't buy it in stores. It's available only online at mergedgospels.com. It's great for new believers, for personal devotions, and for group studies. There's also an audiobook. And as always, you get to name the price. Just go to mergedgospels.com. I'm a retired school psychologist, and helping people was my thing. After my stroke, when Meals on Wheels started, I was on the other end of the stick, so to speak. My name is Julius Gaines, creative writer, poet, photographer. One in six seniors faces the threat of hunger, and millions more live in isolation. Drop off a hot meal and say a quick hello. Volunteer for Meals on Wheels by donating your lunch break at americaletsdolunch.org. This message brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Business Buzz. This is Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I'm so glad you have a chance to spend a little time with me today. I hope to keep you informed, prepared, and up to date on, oh, I would probably call it, usually I'd call it the alternative view. Most people that you talk with don't bring up some of the subjects that I tell you, and that's sort of what I kind of pride myself in as far as at least educating people as to another way to look at things. Now, my favorite author that I've read a little bit before, I'm going to read a little bit today here in this third segment. His name is Egon von Greyers, and uh, he just wrote this on Friday, but it ties exactly into what I talked about last week. I told you last week that in Venezuela, an ounce of silver costs a million bolivars. And it had been only 800,000 bolivars of two or three weeks before that. And it was interesting because Mr. Von Greyer's latest article that he wrote on Friday is titled Gold at 75 Million Bolivars. This will happen in U.S. and Europe, too. So I'm just going to read some of this. It's very entertaining. It's very important to at least... Consider that if this guy is 10% chance of being right, you'd better be prepared. The coming hyperinflation will start slowly and few people will realize what is coming. But once the first real inflation signals are appearing, the process will speed up fast as the currency debasement accelerates. Right now, we are probably seeing the first signs of inflation. The rising CRB index, 
And by the way, that's an index of a bunch of different commodities, like a basket of commodities. The rising CRB index, together with rising oil, silver, and interest rates, are all telling us that inflation is coming. Initially, we will see a gradual increase, but soon inflation will accelerate until we in the next few years reach hyperinflation. Hyperinflation is a currency event. Of course, nobody sees hyperinflation as a credible outcome of today's low growth environment. But hyperinflation is a currency event, and it will come as a result of all major currencies finishing the move that started with the creation of the Fed in 1913. Since then, all currencies have fallen 97 to 99% in real terms. So there is only 1% to 3% to go to reach zero. But the problem is that they won't just fall 1% to 3%, but 100% from today. This will be achieved by massive money printing in an attempt to save a debt-infested global economy. I'm going to stop here for a minute and just mention that if you've been listening to my show, I've read some articles by this man before, and it's the same message over and over. And that's why I don't mind repeating it, because it's so important for you to realize what the situation is right now with the global economy. So he continues, So why will central banks now succeed with creating inflation when they have failed for so long? They have for some time used their two major tools to create inflation by printing money and lowering interest rates to zero or negative. But why do they want inflation since it destroys the value of money? For example, an inflation rate of average 3% halves the value of money in 24 years. What is desirable about that? The simple answer is that inflationary growth creates the impression of real growth. Inflation gives the illusion that people are better off while it instead makes them poorer and destroys the value of their savings. So in spite of unlimited money printing and credit creation, governments around the world have failed to create their desired growth by inflation. The reason for this is that the velocity of money has declined to the lowest levels for over 60 years. The money supply is up 16 times from 0.9 trillion to 15 trillion since 1981. At the same time, the velocity of money has declined by almost two-thirds. Now, velocity, I'll just let you know right now, the velocity of money is the number of times each dollar gets used in the economy. If we had a healthy economy, the velocity of money would not be going down. But it's very, very low. It hasn't been this low since the Great Depression. Okay, I'm going to continue. The more money that is printed, the less it is used. Money printing has gone exponential from 2006 while velocity has crashed. This is really a paradox and a new phenomenon. There are some simple explanations. Now, here's the point I want you guys to listen to. Firstly, the printed money is not reaching the people. The banks have not been lending the printed money as they were more interested in shoring up their weak balance sheets. So where has all this printed money gone? The banks have used it for their own trading. It has also gone to the benefit of the top 1% or less who have invested in stocks, bonds, and property. In these asset classes, we have seen massive inflation fueled by cheap money and unlimited credit. But those figures don't show up in the official inflation numbers or the velocity of money ratio. 
Another reason why velocity and inflation are not going up is that the world is now overborrowed and ordinary people have so much debt that they can't take on anymore. We have reached debt saturation and the printed money is not creating growth. And why should it? If printed money would create wealth, we could all stop working and just print more. As the graph shows, since 1971, total U.S. debt has gone up 47 times from $1.5 trillion to $70 trillion, while GDP, which is gross domestic product, has gone up only 19 times. Thus, in the last 48 years, it has taken $2.50 to create $1 of GDP. And since 2006, it is around $5 debt for $1 of GDP. This means that the U.S. is running on empty. The country can't even grow by printing money. How can the U.S. then grow now when quantitative easing stops and quantitative tightening starts combined with higher rates? The simple answer is that it can't. The U.S. economy will come to an abrupt halt very soon and go into a massive reversal in the coming years. Then he talks about interest rates. U.S. rates bottomed in 2016. The 10-year Treasury then hit a low of 1.3%. It is now almost 3%. The 35-year cycle, which touched all-time lows in 2016, has now turned up with a vengeance. Although we will see corrections, the trend in rates is now strongly up, and the current cycle will not turn until rates are in the high teens or above. Higher rates will come as a result of higher inflation and defaults. Credit markets will become very risky, and lenders will only lend if they get paid for the risk. Bondholders will also panic out of the market when they realize that they will never be repaid with real money. I have never understood how anyone can lend money to bankrupt governments who at best will repay the money with more borrowed funds in a debased currency. Most likely, most governments will default, although they will find another fancy name for it, like moratorium. So anyone holding government bonds is likely to end up with nothing but a worthless IOU. Then he goes on and talks about oil is in a strong uptrend, which is likely to reach the 2008 highs of $150. Oil is already up 260% from the 2016 lows. A global economic downturn would speak against that, but there are many other factors that will drive the oil price up. Firstly, oil is still priced in dollars, although that will change gradually as the Chinese petro-yuan gains hold. But hyperinflation and a collapsing dollar will lead to a record price of oil in U.S. dollars. So would any geopolitical conflict with Saudi Arabia or Iran especially. Finally, silver is in the process of breaking out at the apex of a two-year triangle. This is a very strong indication that silver will now start a major move that will reach multiples of the present price. Well, everybody's been saying that for the last six years, but I do believe that at some point it will, it will pop. And he goes on to say the gold-silver ratio, and I've talked to you about this before on Business Buzz, the gold-silver ratio is a very important indicator of the trend in the precious metals. I have previously written about the importance of the 80 level in the ratio and that every time it is reached, the ratio turns down. Now, uh, I'm going to interject here. I told you about this. When, when you can buy 80 ounces of silver for one ounce of gold, it's definitely time to buy silver. When it goes over 80 like it probably is today, it always backs down, and it was just down to 77 or 78 just about a week ago. So 
whenever that level hits 80, things are going to change. So he, and uh, Von Greyer says, when we, we have just seen a 3% fall in this ratio in the last couple of weeks. Normally when the precious metals turn, silver is the leader, and it now looks like silver is taking the lead. Gold in Bolivar, 75 million per ounce, still to come in U.S. dollars and euros. Since we are very likely to go into a hyperinflationary economy in coming years, let us just remind ourselves what that means in relation to gold. And then he goes on to show the Venezuelan bolivars. It now costs 75 million bolivars to buy one ounce of gold. So I can guarantee you that there are probably quite a few people in Venezuela who wished they had have had the foresight or the ability, because I'm not sure what kind of laws they have down there, I guarantee they wish they had have had the foresight to put one or two ounces of gold somehow into their family savings and hold on to it. Because if they had that right now, they could probably take care of their family for months, if not years worth of groceries. But unfortunately, and maybe it was because the law was against them, most of them uh, ended up with bolivars in the bank or in their wallet. And now a bolivar is virtually worth less than the paper it's printed on. And I've told you before, I'll repeat, that the uh, philosopher Voltaire said way back in the 1700s that paper money always returns to its intrinsic value of zero. And when Von Greyers talks about the fact that we've lost 97 to 99% of our purchasing power of paper money since 1913, that's exactly what he means. Back then, uh, a day's labor was probably 10 cents. I know I've looked up old menus on like Old West steakhouses, and you could get a steak dinner for like 10 or 15 cents. That's what he's talking about. The other thing I've noticed is if people tell you inflation's low, just go out to dinner one of these nights. I've seen, I would say in the last two or three years, prices have gone up at least 50% on any kind of quality dinner like a steak dinner or a nice Italian dinner. Uh, I, I used to see prices in the 20s and think, whoa, 25 bucks for a steak? Well, now it's 35 or $40, and you get, you get out of Chico, and you're looking at 50 to 70 Inflation's here, and you've got to realize that it's going to eat into your savings. Well, remember, these are positive news because I'm giving you a good heads up. See you after the break. This is Harold Littlejohn, CPA. Come back to business, Buzz. Hello, this is Samantha Landy, and I bring you Psalms of Hope. Heard here on Life Radio every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at noon. So do tune in and join me for beautiful music and an encouraging word from the Lord. Psalms of Hope with Samantha Landy, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at noon, here on KKXX. America, bless God. Fellow Americans, your hearing this admonition establishes that you are one who cares for the America that has been so blessed by Almighty God. We implore you to embrace the laws of nature and of nature's God, to read and know the Constitution. Join with other moral and religious people and organizations to foster the blessings of liberty for ourselves and our posterity. 
America. Bless God. I'm a 40-year-old man that walked in there to get his high school diploma. It was very hard for me, but Miss Araceli, she gave me direction. At age 47, Marco finished his high school diploma. 50% of getting your high school diploma is walking through those doors. The other 50% is doing the work. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Business Buzz. This is Harold Littlejohn, CPA, and this is a call-in show. I have a caller on the line. Hello, this is Harold. Hey, Harold, it's Jim. Hey, Jim McCall, how are you? Oh, doing great, Harold. Listen, I wanted to tell you, though, you're always ragging on inflation, but inflation allows an economy to grow so much faster. And you have all these wonderful businesses starting up. I mean, since 1900, look at the businesses that have started up. Uh, General Motors, Ford, uh, the airline industry. Um, And then in our uh, more recent times, we have the uh, dot-com generation just exploding on the scenes. And you will never get that kind of growth with hard money. Never. You can't grow the economy fast enough because it's limited to the amount of hard metal you have on hand. So uh, an inflationary economy, yeah, eventually you're going to catch up somewhere along the line. But in the meantime, it provides such a wonderful life for most, the, the vast majority of the people live now better than ever in the history of the world by a factor of 10. I mean, it, it's really a good thing in, in most ways. Well, I, you know, that's, a, that's definitely a novel idea. At least I haven't thought of it that way. But uh, now what about the golden age of American growth in the 1800s. Did that include inflation? Was that a good period? In your well, opinion? We, had, we were discovering gold. Remember, California paid for the Civil War. I mean, that was millions and millions of dollars of armaments and uh, industry and uh, so- soldiers' salaries. I mean, it paid for an army and a navy. And uh, the gold continued to be discovered all the way through... Uh, now, today, I mean, there's still a lot of gold in the country that uh, is mined every year. There's some big mines out in Nevada. That that allows for some growth, but there's no way you can finance the, number, the, the numbers of uh, corporations that have become so successful in this economy of ours. I mean, we've led the world in every category you want to bring up, in any industrial category, life science, agriculture, all of that's finance with paper money it can't be any other way there's no hard money uh backing that can uh you know source that kind of uh, dollar you know output hmm. you know and that's if you include include uh other metals like palladium and um platinum and you know there are other valuable metal coins in that that metal group that would be considered uh currency Right. So, I mean, you know, and now we have, you know, now they just they just say, oh, we're adding another four hundred billion dollars to the economy through quantitative quantitative easing. They're not even printing it. It's electronic. Right. (laughs) Right. Well, that that's how they've tried to keep the lid on the uh, interest rates. 
See, that's where I, I, I kind of, I mean, I see your point about, you know, when there's a lot of money, there's a lot of startups and stuff like that, but yeah, what people about, are okay in the t- in the short term. I, right, right, I understand right. the long term situation, but in the in the short term, I mean, less than twenty five years, it's done us wonderfully well. We're really well off because of it. Well, you know, I I uh, I guess I mean I'm putting on my thinking cap here because I've never really done this kind of discussion. Okay, let me let me dovetail in with your your interest in cryptocurrencies. Remember that stuff's not even on paper. No, I and no, and that's the thing. I mean, I still differentiate between cryptos and gold and silver because I still think gold and silver is what you need to have. But I think cryptos are good for trading and trying to trade into like for instance, the perfect world for me would be a crypto trader who makes five thousand a week and then buys gold with it. Yeah, but the, uh, again again your you're hamstrung by where you're going to keep it. Well, it's not portable. You right. can't move it. So if you want to relocate yeah, you don't need from this to. part of the world, right? But like yeah, in, you need to take it with you. Right, and it but, weighs tons. Yeah, but like in Venezuela, in Venezuela, one pocket could hold a billion bolivars. Okay, okay. Now you're talking about a status little communist country <laughs> who doesn't have any wealth generation. No, no, uh, no. What Except they're part. They're part of innovation. They're part of OPEC. There's, there's yeah, but the, that's the only thing that's keeping them alive, and they ruin and they're ruining that. They've already run the United States out of there. They've nationalized their industry, and their industry doesn't do anything now. They were once the fourth largest oil producer in the world. Yeah, I remember reading. Way, I remember reading. Down the, gas down there was eleven cents a gallon, even like a few years ago. Yeah, it was a waste product. Right. Practically. Right. I mean, they they couldn't get hardly any money for it. Right. And no, now, no, I, and now I, they're starving, and they can't even produce it because they've taken all the incentive to do anything. That's what happens with a socialist government. Well, it also you happens... Nev- you, you take away anybody's incentive to do anything, and that's what's happening to us. Right. We're, well, we're, yeah. we're trying to, uh, you know, the, the, the socialist, communist, Obama generation millennials are trying to take away all the uh, incentive to get rich, and they're calling it evil. And, of course, it's 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 paid for... This wonderful development in uh, technology. We we live better than kings did, even it, 50 it also, years ago. It also paid a trillion or more dollars for their student loans. Well, that's a no. Don't get me started on, <laughs> on wasted college student loans. I mean, and what they what they major in? Beer pong and pizza. What have they What have they got for? What did they get? Engineering degree? Did they get a science degree? Right. I guess, you know, some of them probably did, but I, yeah, I'm not sure. Very few. We we used to we used to be the output of the world in in engineering, and uh, and science and technology. That's why we've you know the West has invented so much stuff the last hundred years. But now it's yeah, we're still pretty innovative. You know, you give a you give these guys some incentive and they invent something and they get rich like zuckerberg zuckerberg got rich right now what's your facebook what's your feeling did you hear when i was talking about the freddie mac loan thing and i haven't verified all that but i'm gonna look into it did you hear that no i missed that part. well what it is is that i just heard today that lately the three percent down loan from freddie mac for mortgages has now been stepped up to where it's also coming with a no-income verification clause. Okay, here we go again. This, That's what I'm thinking. This is what got us in trouble That's in the last, the, the credit default swaps and all those phony uh, credit instruments that they were selling last 
go around. Right. I mean, it, this, it, it's concern, happening it, again. It concerns me that it might happen again, and then here we go again. And you know, yeah. I don't know. Well, so that does that does bother me. I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot to, to bitch about. But right. in the long run, we have a wonderful lifestyle because right. of inflation. Yeah, no, and I'm still I'm still of the same ilk as far as the you know the U.S. system is still the best in the world that I know of, and I'm not I'm definitely not saying that uh, there's a better place to be. I just think that uh, this whole idea of paper money is going to get us into big trouble. Well, it can definitely. Remember, in the last century, before there was the Federal Reserve, they had all these panics. Right, and the These banks economic would go bust. panics, and right. there would be absolute disaster, and that was under a hard money system. Right. Remember, yeah, and things would just collapse. They'd fall through the floor, and people would just, you know, go out of business by the millions. Right. But we didn't have millions in those days, but the hundreds of thousands. I right. mean, there were major panics up until, uh, you know, the beginning of the of the 20th century, and finally the uh, Federal Reserve stepped in, and they stopped a lot of it. They They didn't catch, the you know, the big one. But, well, you know, uh, and plus the the bank failures have been controlled a lot better since the old FDR stuff, you know. Right. Yeah. Right. So well, there's, no, there's a lot of yeah. interesting things that yeah. are happening in the, in the economic world, and most people don't understand it. Even the guys who run the system, it's so complex and so introverted with all these relationships. And now we have world-class corporations on the scene. I mean, these places like Google and Facebook... They're in every single country of the world, every single one, and they're a key player in every single country. Even the most wretched uh, African nations like Sudan and and the uh, what do you call it Congo, the, uh, oh, the Republic the of Congo. Saharan Africa. I mean, these that, are yeah. oh, they're fighting wars over there, but they have cell phones and they have Facebook. Right. Right. So I mean the, these these are massive countries and uh, companies and they're so important to us. Even Facebook making all these problems, you know, for themselves. Well, they got too much. We still da- have they got to too use much it. data. You're still on Facebook, right? <laughs> I've got a Facebook just for a business thing. Yeah. Well, but we're using it. Yeah. No, it's. Everybody I mean, uses it. Yeah. There's so, no uh, doubt the whole internet is just a, a great thing overall. It's just. Uh, oh, and yeah, and there's always going to be people people who who misuse it and they try to control it. And that's what this thing with Google, you know, Google's trying to uh, shut down a whole a whole a philosophy of thought you know, on the political side, you know, conservatism. They're right. trying well, to black everybody, yeah. blank everybody out and, who's conservative. I, th- I really think they need to start thinking in the antitrust mindset, and I know it's been mentioned, but, you know, in oh. the old days, if a company had 90% of all the traffic somewhere, they would probably be broken up. Oh, absolutely, and, and Teddy Roosevelt started that, but now, see... This is a whole new world. There was no Facebook 15 years ago. That's what I'm saying. It's a whole new so nobody, ball game. Nobody's right. been able to catch up with it yet. Right. But everybody everybody looks at a railroad and goes, oh, we can't have Carnegie running the railroads. You know, every railroad in the in the country or whoever it was. Right. Well, well Rockefeller had all the oil going, all the gas. Yeah. He, yeah. he, he put all of his competition under waves, bought them up, forced them out. Right. And, but he did stabilize he did stabilize the industry, and, and Teddy Roosevelt broke it up. He broke up all those trusts. Right, call them trusts right, right, right. But nowadays, so that's, yeah, they well, haven't caught up yet. But in my opinion, it seems to me it seems too much like the government is too closely working with people like Google because they get all their uh, data mining and information and law enforcement help. It's almost like they have to partner with them. 
Right. They, they, they design regulations for each other. You know, right. The, uh, right. Google tells them where they want to be regulated. And <laughs> like, well, see, that's, that's, that's the best that's way to go. That's a whole other <laughs> problem. You know, in the old days, it was the government fighting the corporations. The cor- corporations were fighting back, and you had Congress in the middle trying to figure out how to, how to play this out because it was the new technology at the time. You know, we had nationwide corporations that were just starting to form in those days. Oil was a new, new product. I mean, it's a lot, in a lot of ways, gasoline and, and the whole uh, automobile industry. Right, are, it sprang up all of the, a sudden. Uh, right. Uh, tech, techno uh, industries of the time. And now, now it's gone to another whole a quantum leap in technology, and we're just, we're just now getting a grip on it as a society. Right. So it, it's a fascinating problem. And this gets me back to another uh, stick I like to beat you with, uh, and you need to vote. Because all these things are going to be coming to a vote. Yeah. And if you're not informed and you let it happen, then it's your fault. You know, I was just, you know what, I'm glad you brought that up because I do think about it a lot. And I have been saying, uh, when I when I kind of talk with my wife about this now and then, yeah. if I, and I'm, um, I'm almost getting to the point where maybe it's going to happen, but if I actually <laughs> see, no, really, I mean, it's been a year and a half. I know these things take time. But if yeah. I see real reform, I will vote in those midterms to keep things the way I want them. Well, they are they are uh, reforming. I mean, look look at the regulations that the Trump administration has been eliminating thousands and thousands of burdensome, horrible, uh, blood sucking regulations in all industries that just hamper business on every level. And he's been doing that. He's been getting rid of it. And he's right. trying to get people in place, but you know the uh, the rear guard, the uh, reactionaries, are trying to hold on to their power in Washington D.C. Yeah, I know. And it's that's like what it's this like is all about. right. It's like fifty years of stuff is being eroded, and they don't want to let go. Absolutely, that's right. where all their power and all their money. No, comes I, from. I, I, I do, that's why I like talking with you, Jim, because you always have good insights and you make me think the other way on things. And uh, <laughs> now I got to now I got to start thinking why inflation is good. So uh, yeah, now, now you've really now kept another, me up at night. Another, uh, <laughs> I'll bring it down to a local level for you. You got Tonight is the uh, council meeting on the Jesus Center. And this is a huge issue for Chico. We have got to get a grip on this. Tell, t- tell, tell right. the list, listeners a little bit about what's going on. If you know, do you know a little bit about this Jesus Center? Because I was away yeah. and I, I'm not in the news on that right now. Well, they they're trying to relocate, and the city has been dragging its feet. They want to go down to the BMX track, and they've got a four acre parcel down there, and they want to set up uh, a campus down there is where that, they is can that bring the all the services together: behavioral health. The Chico PD is going to have what they call their target team down there. They're going to have a larger kitchen facility. They're going to have a drug module thing where the, the people – and behavioral health drops off uh, people coming out of the hospital with mental problems right at their door. The bus stops right there in front of the Jesus Center and drops them off. Wow. And the, the, the people uh, – these poor patients get their meds stolen from them immediately, so they can't give them any meds. We're, we're going to come up on a break soon, so I want you to right now – do you know what time is that meeting, and uh, can you fill people in? Six o'clock? Six o'clock. Yeah. So it's it's the... going to be busy, so come early, get a seat. Wow. Are you going? Yeah, yeah I'm going to try to speak. Interesting. Wow. Hey, I'm really glad you were able to call. I uh, Like I say, I like getting different opinions, and uh, you definitely always bring out the best in my brain, so I appreciate that. <laughs> hey, talk to you soon. Thanks, Jim.
Thanks for being here with Business Buzz. This is Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I'll be back to see you soon. Stay tuned and stay healthy. And stay safe. Bye-bye. KKXX, Paradise, K280GL, Chico, and K283AR, Chico, Yuba City, Marysville. With SRN News, I'm Keith Peters in Washington. The White House is blasting the Iran nuclear agreement ahead of President Trump's decision on whether to pull the U.S. out of the deal. Press Secretary Sarah Sanders says it was a mistake for the Obama administration to enter the deal in the first place. And she says the Iran agreement was made on a false pretense. Iran lied on the front end. They were dishonest actors. And so the deal that was made was made on things that weren't accurate. Uh, And we have a big problem with that. Sanders also says U.S. officials were given a heads up from Israel ahead of Prime Minister Netanyahu's announcement this week that evidence shows Iran lied about its nuclear program. Greg Clugston, the White House. All but a handful of the Central American migrants who reached the U.S.-Mexican border in a caravan are still waiting on the Mexican side to turn themselves in, hoping to win asylum in the United States. Officials aren't saying how many migrants have been allowed in to be interviewed by asylum officers, but organizers put that number at eight. They say about